everybody at all of our campuses today. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. I've got to get my pack stuck on my back here. Hey, it's great to see all of you uh, again. It always makes me a little nervous to come and speak in front of you. I've been doing this for 25 some years and I still get nervous. You guys are scary all the time. But it's really great to be back. I've been off for a few weeks getting started on a new book. It's called Not Yet New. Not Yet New because the Bible says the old life is gone. The new life has come. The problem is the old life isn't gone. I still sin. And I, my, my guess is that you do too. So what does it mean when the Bible says the old life is gone? The old life is gone. The new life has come. That's what I've been working on the past few weeks. But while I was away, Jason and John, I mean, just have been fantastic on the weekends. The last four weekends, Jason has just tore it up, hasn't he, on the weekends? Just been fantastic in his teaching. Yep. I'm also, I'm also so proud of our musicians and children's staff and tech teams and support staff and volunteers. All of those people make our church such a great place to be and our weekends so great. If the world ever needs great churches to step up and lead people to faith in Christ, it's today. Uh, four weeks ago, you know, 200 of our volunteers and, and uh, staff, you staff people of our youth uh, group went to Philadelphia to serve. 200 people went to Philadelphia. Last week, over 1,000 middle school students filled the Lionel Lakes campus three nights in a row. 1,000 middle school students. Can you imagine that? In the middle of the summer, coming to a church, 100 of them came to Christ in faith. Several groups went to Haiti this summer. And three weeks ago, 916 people were baptized 916 people said, I want to leave the old life behind, the old life of anger, greed, and hatred, and live a new life in Christ. I'm just so proud of those of you who took that step of faith and were baptized uh, to honor Christ in obedience in your life. So way to go. It's been a great summer. And I don't want to rush past the summer, but I do need to say a word about this fall. Sorry about that. But I do. September through Christmas is going to be... Uh, one of the best falls we've ever had here at our church. Right after Labor Day, we're going to do a series called At the Door. At the Door. It's about making great decisions, how to do that. You know, where should you go? What should you do in life? How to make great decisions about who you should date, you know, or dump, or marry, or whatever. You know, what, what's the right door that you should go through? So don't miss it. This September is going to be unbelievable. Then we're doing a series called Dangerous Prayers. That's going to be followed by a series called, What Keeps You Up at Night? What Keeps You Up at Night? So we're going to talk about those things. And I'm telling you about it now because every weekend this fall is going to be high impact for you and your unchurched friends. I just want to throw out a challenge to all of you today. And I'm not a cliche guy, but I'm calling it Five for Fall. Five for Fall. Would you start thinking and praying about five people who you could invite to church this fall. Could be five individuals, could be a family of five, but now is the time to start praying and thinking about who are the people that intersect my life that I could invite to church and maybe lead them to a relationship uh, to God through Christ. So if you've benefited from our church, if you've benefited from it, would you be willing to start looking for opportunities to invite five people to the church this fall. We're in a series called Shatterproof. I love this title because I don't know about you, I want to be shatterproof. You know, I want my faith to be shatterproof. My marriage, my children, my finances, even my body. I want my body to be shatterproof, and it's not really, but I like, I want it to be. But if I'm honest, 
sometimes I don't feel very shatterproof. I don't know about you, but I often feel very fragile and vulnerable. I feel, I feel insecure in my leading and teaching more than anybody would ever know. And even though I've been a Christian for over 50 years and a pastor for over 30 years, I am still not shatterproof when it comes to sin. And so today's key verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. Look, it's a great verse. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has come. It's a great verse, except if the old life is gone, why is it still there? Why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I still get angry and petty and afraid? You know, the Bible says have no anxiety about anything. But I'm anxious about just about everything. I mean, if the old life is gone, why do I still battle this every single day? Well, if you promise not to repeat this, I'll tell you something I've never told anybody, even my own mother, so don't even tell her, okay? When I was a 26-year-old pastor, young guy, my brother, who was also a pastor, we were out west skiing in Aspen, and it was our last day of skiing, so we packed up the car for the 20-hour 20, 20 drive back home to Minneapolis, but heading toward Denver, out of the mountains, we thought to ourselves, wouldn't it be great to ski just a few more runs before we leave? But neither of us wanted to pay for a half-day lift ticket. This was before the What Would Jesus Do bracelets came out, so... You know, we didn't think about that. In fact, we tried not to think about Jesus at all uh, in that moment. But it was early afternoon, and we thought, you know, what's the, what's the harm? No, no, no. We'll just kind of slip into the line, bluff our way past the lift operator, who's usually smoking something funny anyway, and we'll ski a few runs. Jumped into line, waited our turn, and just as we grabbed the chairlift, the lift operator yelled, Hey, where's your lift tickets? As the chair swept us off the ground, one of us yelled back, I don't remember who, they're tucked underneath our jackets, which was a total lie. I mean, we haven't even skied yet, and we'd already committed three sins. We stole, we deceived, and we lied straight up. But so far, so good. <laughs> the chairlift took us to the top, we skied down to a different lift line, didn't want to see that guy again, and there at the bottom was a whole posse waiting for us, about six guys in official ski wear, surrounded my brother and me, both pastors, and the toughest looking one said, let me see your ski tickets. We said, we didn't think we needed one this late in the day. <laughs> if you ever notice that when you tell one lie, you gotta tell a whole bunch of other lies to cover the one you already told, you know, cover that one up. They made us follow them to an office pay for a full day, which was painful. And then they told us this, never come back. We were so ashamed that my brother and I have never, ever talked about it since that day. And we're like old. <laughs> you know, the following year, though, I was out in Vail, Colorado, skiing. Vail is a huge ski resort. Some of you know this, several miles wide. 20,000 people ski it every day from around the world. I was on a run. I looked down. I saw something in the snow. So I stopped and bent down. It was a $20 bill, a credit card, and a scarf. 
Again, thousands of people all over, finders, keepers. You know, just grab the money and go. But I remembered last year. And so I brought it to a lost and found, which is a real hassle, by the way. If you know, you know how to find this place, it took me 45 minutes to get there. But they took my name and address and said, we will mail you the $20 if nobody comes to claim it. You know, like that's going to happen. Three weeks later, I got a handwritten letter from a lady in Brazil. This is what she wrote. Dear Mr. Merritt, thank you for returning my credit card and money. You have no idea what that meant to me. And then she wrote, you have restored my faith in humanity. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. One year I get kicked out for lying and stealing. The next year I've restored someone's faith. And yeah, I mean, my life is such a contradiction. <laughs> Why is that? Well, the Bible says the old life is gone, the new life has come. But the old life isn't gone. The old life of lying and greed and selfishness, I'm telling you, is right beneath the skin and can surface instantly. Maybe that's a relief for you all to hear that today. And I've been a Christian for 55 years since I was five years old. My dad was a pastor. My brother's a pastor. Brother-in-law is a pastor. I've been around pastors and churches my whole life. I pray and read the Bible every day, but I'm telling you, gang, I still sin. And after 55 years of being a Christian, I've learned something. So does everybody else. Doesn't matter how godly you are, doesn't matter how spirit-filled you are, everybody sins, even the Pope. The Pope. You know what the Pope Francis said the day he was installed? He said, I am a sinner, but I trust in the infinite mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been around some really godly men and women who pastor large churches, they author books, lead thousands of people to faith in Christ, and I'm telling you, all of them have the same problem I have. They all sin. In fact, look what 1 John 1.8 says about our sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth isn't in us. If we say we don't sin, we're not being truthful. James says it this way, we all stumble, every one of us, in many ways. Many, many ways. So what did Paul mean when he said, the old life is gone? I want to revisit this verse real quickly. If anyone is in Christ, it's a key phrase, the old life is gone. He didn't say if anyone is in church, although it's great that you're all here. Way to go on such a gorgeous weekend. That says something about your faith. But he didn't say if anybody's in church or in shape, or if anybody's been baptized or say 14 Hail Marys, no, it doesn't matter. Are you in Christ? Is Christ living in you? That's who we're talking about then the old life is gone. So what does he mean? What, what it, you know, my experience is the old life is, what does he mean the old life is gone? Well, what's gone? Well, first of all, being separated from God is gone because Ephesians 2 says, at one time we were separated from God, but now we have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So being separated is gone. Being penalized for sin is gone. The penalty of sin is gone. We all still sin. 
But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he bore the penalty for your sin and mine. Our present, past, and future sins have been canceled. Those of us who have faith in Christ, we still sin, but the penalty for sin has been taken care of by the death and resurrection. Bondage to sin is gone. We don't need to be enslaved to sin. Look what the Bible says about this, Romans 6, 6. Our old self was crucified with Jesus so sin might be made powerless that we should no longer be slaves. We still sin. We don't have to be enslaved to a sin pattern. And finally, finally, eternal death is gone. We will all die physically, but those of us who are in Christ will pass through a physical death and have eternal life in heaven with Jesus forever and ever. So eternal death is gone. The Bible says we've been united with him in his death. We will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. So these four things are gone once again. Separated from God is gone. Penalty is gone. Bondage from sin is gone. Eternal death is completely gone. What isn't gone is our propensity to sin. The reason why we all still sin is because every one of us still has a sinful human nature. We all still have a sinful nature that will never go away on this side of heaven. We are all still naturally selfish, naturally greedy, naturally vindictive, and gang, we were born that way. The prevailing thought in society is that we are basically good. But the Bible teaches that we are all born bad. If you have kids, you understand that. We are all born into sin. I mean, a month-old baby lies there completely helpless, can't roll over, can't feed himself, die in a couple hours if somebody didn't care for his every need. And yet 36 months later, that child will put his hands on his hips, look at his mother, and say, get out of my life. Right? Children come out of the chute as self-centered, life-sucking little monsters. (laughs) And you know what? It carries through to adulthood. That's why we pray. God have mercy on these kids. That's why we dedicate them. Because they need that. Tell you, nobody had to teach me how to sin. I came by that naturally as a toddler. No one had to teach us. Isn't this true? Nobody had to teach us how to shade the truth, angle for the best seats, get seething mad in traffic, even leaving church. Watch it. (laughs) No one had to teach us how to punish somebody we love with a silent treatment or steal a look for a little jolt of sexual gratification. Friends, those things come naturally to us because we have a nature just below the skin that when triggered by the right stimulus can overwhelm any amount of resistance that you or I might have. Romans 6, 19 says it this way, we are weak in our natural selves. Boy, are we ever. One of my weaknesses is chocolate. (laughs) I inherited it from my mom. I love chocolate, crave it several times a day. When I was a grad student at Penn State University with Uh, the nutrition science department was hired by the Hershey company 
to study the effects that chocolate would have on blood cholesterol, and they needed 20 people to volunteer to go through a highly controlled three-month study, so I signed up. For three solid months, seven days a week, we had to eat our breakfast, lunch, and dinner in a controlled room, and at every meal, we had to consume 10 ounces of chocolate. Hershey bars, brownies, fudge, pudding, ding-dongs, Every breakfast, lunch, dinner, we consumed 10 ounces of chocolate. It was awesome. Okay? <laughs> the good news, chocolate has no effect on your cholesterol. It destroys your heart and your liver, but not your cholesterol. So have at it. They paid us a 1000 bucks to do this and took vials of blood that made me pass out. But I would have done it for free. <laughs> because chocolate makes me so happy. But it's a weakness. I'm telling you, every single day after dinner, there is something inside me that says, Bob, chocolate. <laughs> There's chocolate brownies in the freezer drawer. It's time. And this urge rises up inside me, and I cannot. It's natural. It comes. It's there. And my dog is right there with me. He'll be lying in the other room, out cold, snoring on his back, I will quietly open the freezer door without making a peep, and somehow he knows. He senses me going for the brownie, and every time he sticks his nose in the freezer, <laughs> begging for a bite. I know chocolate's bad for dogs, so I give him something else. But he and I are weak <laughs> in our natural selves, and Paul says that's the way it is with sin. We are weak. We're naturally drawn toward being angry and greedy and prideful and selfish because we, gang, inherited a sinful nature at birth. Does that mean we're enslaved to sin? Does that mean we are helpless? No. The Bible says it this way. You, however, if you're in Christ, are not controlled by the sinful nature but by the Spirit of God, if indeed the Spirit of God lives inside you. So it's really a control issue. You don't have to be controlled by the sinful nature. The question is, who, who or what is in control of your life? Who or what is the dominating force in your life. The truth is, as much as I'm drawn to chocolate, I'm no longer controlled and dominated by it. I'm not enslaved. I used to eat a big fat chocolate brownie topped with ice cream and Hershey sauce after every dinner. Now I just eat half a brownie with ice cream and Hershey sauce after every. Because if anybody's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old life is gone. We still sin, but the old life of being controlled by it, enslaved by it, is gone, but then the, the verse goes on to say, but the new life has come. There's a new life available to every person here. I just want to raise a question. How many of you, don't raise any hands, but how many of you feel like, how many of you feel like you're a new person in Christ? That you're shatterproof. If the old life's gone and the new has come, why don't we feel brand new at times? And the, the reason is there's a battle going on inside you and me. And that battle is between the old and new 
self, and we are never totally free from this battle. Look what the Bible says. Live according to your new life in the Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Look at this. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. And your choices are never free from this conflict. Gang, there's a battle going on inside you and me, and we are never totally free from battling the old life. There's a battle between the old life and new life, and I think there's two ways that you can win this battle. The first way is this. you got to starve the old life and feed the new life. And by the way, if you're wondering what the old life is, you don't have to guess about this. The Bible's real clear. These are the acts, the behaviors, the characteristics of the sinful life. They're obvious, Paul says. Se- sexual immorality is rampant today. Impure thoughts. What's your thought life like? Selfish ambition, just selfishness. Engaging in witchcraft. Hatred. Just quarreling all the time. Bursts and fits of rage are part of the old life. Drunkenness shouldn't be a part of your life, gang. Wild parties and the like. And Paul goes on to say, anybody living that sort of life, you're going to miss the kingdom. If you perpetually, ongoingly, all of us fall into sin at times, but if it's just a habit, you got to really wonder, are you in Christ? And Paul goes on to say, here's the aspects of the new life. The fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that God's Spirit is alive in you, is there's a new kind of love. There's a new kind of joy and peace and patience. How patient are you? Kind, kindness, are you, are you a kind person? Are you a good person? Are you faithful and gentle And do you have self-control? Paul says there's a battle going on, and the question is, what's winning in your life? What's winning? Is the old life winning all the time? Or is the new life gaining ground and starting to win? One way to win, man, you got to starve the old life and feed the new life. Because isn't this true? Whatever you starve will die. Isn't that true? Whatever you starve dies... Whatever you feed will live. So I've always had a weakness for chocolate, but about eight years ago, I began to change my diet. A lot more vegetables, protein, and fruit, and a lot less chocolate and junk food. And what I found as I I began to starve out the chocolate and junk food, the less I've begun to crave it. There are nights, miraculously, when I don't even eat a brownie. Because I've been feeding and growing my appetite for healthy food because whatever you starve will die. Whatever you just keep on feeding is gonna live. So what might you need to starve in your life? Last week I read an article from Time Magazine on pornography talking about young men especially who grew up with unlimited porn online, just feeding their addiction every single day. 28-year-old Gabe Deem 
wrote this. He said, by age 14, pornography was as much a part of my daily routine as acne and dating, feeding off it 10 times a day. Neuroscientist Brian Anderson says, though, that pornography affects the wiring in the brain and is as damaging as drug addiction or alcoholism. He says this. He says, there comes a point when you open your browser and you just start thinking about porn. It affects your ability to work, to focus, to relate well to women, or function sexually. Gabe Deem, who is not a Christian, sounds the alarm. He says, like drugs and junk food, porn can desensitize you to a normal life and ultimately rob you of the one thing you want, the ability to experience pleasure. And gang, as a pastor who cares about every single person here, some of you feed this addiction every day. And I'm telling you, it's the reason the new life of love, joy, peace, goodness, and self-control has eluded you. It's the reason you're distracted. It's the reason you're unable to relate well to people. Can't enjoy simple things anymore. It's the reason you feel spiritually dead and have lost your respect for women. It drives and controls your thought life because instead of starving it, you feed it every single day. And so, again, as a person who cares about you, if you are struggling with this, you need to starve that addiction. Get a filter on your computer. If you have young boys, especially in your home, and they have a cell phone, you need to put a filter on that because it's so available. We have Quest 180 Pure Desire groups in this church to help you if you're struggling with this. Please get out of that addiction if you're in it. It'll destroy you. It'll kill things inside you that don't have a chance to come alive. Anything you need to starve, gang? Maybe it's the amount of TV you watch or video games you play. Maybe it's the type of movies you consume. Maybe it's vulgar language or a mean spirit that you just feed, keep alive. The truth is, whatever you starve will die, whatever you feed lives. Second way to, to win this battle is you got to keep in tune with God's spirit. And this is a little bit hard to understand, and I, I don't understand it fully myself. But somehow you got to keep in tune with God's spirit because ultimately the only way we're going to win this battle is by God's power within us. You cannot win these battles by your own strength. Only God can make you new. That's why the Bible says this. Be controlled by the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Be filled with God's Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Almost every single day, I will pray a prayer something like this. God, I want to be filled by your Spirit today. I want to walk with you. I want you to lead me and control me. God, I want to be near you. Because I can't win this battle on my own. So I read Bible verses that feed my spirit. I go to worship services like this where I hear music that inspires my spirit. I surround myself with godly people who remind me what it's like to live by the spirit. I cannot win this battle on my own power. I need God's power that comes through prayer and Bible reading and godly friends 
and corporate worship. How about you? During our baptism services, a young lady got up and she told her story of leaving the old life and embracing the new life. And so I've invited Gina Jacobson to come and just share with all of you um, her, her brief story, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Gina, would you come on up and let everybody else know what we heard the other day? Welcome to the stage. Hi. My name is Gina, and my journey with God started when I was baptized as a very young girl. I feel in many ways my childhood was probably way above average. I had two parents who loved me and cared for me. I was given every opportunity to try new things and grew up without abuse or any major tragedies. So it was hard for me to understand why I still felt empty inside. As I grew up, I began to feel lost, anxious, and alone. I had friends, but only one to two close enough to let into my world. I was consistently let down by people I trusted, growing bitter and more withdrawn as the years dragged on. Forgiveness wasn't a big value in my life at the time, so I thought the world was out to get me and only me. I did feel that God was present in my life, but was torn because my experience with people claiming to be religious was hypocritical and hateful. I was told by one Christian friend that if I didn't go to church, I was going straight to hell, and that going to church was the only way to be saved. Why would I want to be around people that only condemned me and made me feel like I was less of a person than they were? I did enough of that to myself. These bad experiences tainted my view of the church and scarred me emotionally and spiritually. As my teenage and young adult years flew by, I filled most of my free time with boyfriends, drinking, and partying. I did these things because my depression and anxiety was so bad, it was the only way I could feel anything remotely good and turn off the noisy chatter in my head. However, the more I reached for these things, the more I felt I was drowning in worthlessness with no hope of a joyful life. It wasn't until this last year that my life was changed forever. A friend invited me to church for the fifth time. And in my moment of weakness, I caved. I told her that if I go, she had to promise me she wouldn't ask me again. She agreed. When I walked through the doors of Eagle Brook, I was anxious. It took everything in me not to run right back out the door, but I pushed through the fear. Once the music started, I couldn't stop crying. I only hoped my friend wouldn't see the stream of tears running down my cheeks. It felt like God came down from heaven, embracing me with all the years of love he had saved up for me precisely for this moment. Then Bob's message hit home too. It was like the message was speaking directly to me and I was the only one in the room. After attending church for three months straight, I made a rash decision to move to Hawaii. It was a dream of mine ever since I was a child. However, shortly after arriving, I learned a lesson God had been trying to tell me all my life. If you cannot find joy and gratefulness in all that I have given you now, you will not find it anywhere or in anything of this world. So I listened to the nudges of the Holy Spirit and bought a plane ticket home three months later. Once home, I was so excited to get back to church, I invited a bunch of friends to join me that weekend for service. I signed up to volunteer and I joined a small group. The first month back, Pastor Jason Strand had challenged us to give up our lives completely to Jesus and walk with him. 
I made the decision that day to start my relationship with Christ. As Jason said the prayer, I repeated it in my mind and felt it in my soul. As I did this, I felt a sense of renewal, of redemption, and of new life. Not too long after this, I was baptized. I finally felt like a whole person. The hole in my heart started to fill, and I was made new. I have never felt more joy in my life than I do now. Giving it all up to Jesus has allowed me to release the chains of my depression, anxieties, and feelings of loneliness. I cannot even tell you all the amazing opportunities and people he has provided for me on my walks with him. I stand before you today as a new person, not perfect or sinless, but I can honestly say my old life is gone and my new life has come. Thank you. Man, that never gets old. I love hearing stories of transformation where God just brings a person out of that old, that old life and starts breathing new life into them with his forgiveness and grace and a new way of living. And so thanks, Gina, for that story. I, I want to land the jet today with just a brief, I think humorous, but good deal here, good story. Um, Several years ago, I read a true story about a mother of five kids. She came home from grocery shopping one day, grocery bags in both hands, and she bumped the door open to the house and walked in and noticed that her five kids were sitting in a circle in the living room, and they were unusually quiet. So she set the bags down on the counter, and she tiptoed over, and she looked over their shoulders, and this is the honest truth. Those five kids were playing with five little skunks true story. So she yelled, children, run. She says each child picked up a skunk and ran. <laughs> and the question I want to ask you is this, is there anybody here trying to run with a skunk? You know, some people want to live a new life. They do. They want this new love and joy and peace and patience, and, but they're hanging on to the old life. They're hanging on to sexual immorality or selfishness or hatred or rage. And gang, the truth is this. If you run with a skunk, your life's going to stink. <laughs> I sat in bed one night, and that just came to my mind. That's what I think about during the night. If you run with a skunk, your life's going to stink. Anybody here? Running with us, don't look at him. <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> the old life is gone. The new life has come. What might need you to starve, get rid of, confront, so that the old life will fade? And go away. And the new life in Christ will take over. If you need prayer today for any reason, please stay after the service. We're going to be down front here to meet you all at all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the truth of your word. 
This is a struggle that we all have. I do. I am so far from perfect, God. You know me inside and out. That's why forgiveness and grace is so good. Thank you for people like Gina who, God, you, you grabbed hold of her and you were patient with her. And you brought her into a new life. And I thank you and praise you for her story and thousands of others in this church who've experienced the same. God, I pray for those of us standing here who are struggling with a habit or an addiction or a sin that we simply, in our own power, can't get over. I pray, God, that we'd be honest and wise enough to confront it, to get the help we need start walking away from the old into the new. Need you every day, Father. Thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love. We need you. We worship you. Be with us now as we leave this place in Jesus' name.